Last week we began a series that's relative to every single one of us here today because it's all about decision making. Every one of us this past week made a decision of some kind or another, multiple decisions. And some of you right now are making some very critical, possibly life-changing decisions. And this series was kind of birthed out of you, many of you coming and asking me to pray with you over some major decision that you have in your life. And so I thought, well, you know, let's go back to God's word and and let's discover, rediscover again, what God has said about decision making. You know, the Bible is our guidebook for life. It's got something for anything we're going to come up against. It really does. And God has given us some wisdom in how to make decisions. Some of it is very direct. Some of it is more subtle. Some of it is a guideline, a command. Some of it's just an illustration of somebody's life who made a bad decision or who made a great decision and how those decisions impacted their life and the life of their family and the life of their community and even the life of the world. And so as we continue today, we want to remember how important this is. And let me encourage you to invite God into your decision-making process. In fact, that's, last week we, we agreed that that's the place where all Christians start in making great decisions. The the point for all Christians, the starting point is God. Now, that's what it should be. Unfortunately, that's not always what we make it. Sometimes we turn to God way down in the process after things are falling apart, and then we ask God to rescue us from our decisions. But we'll save ourselves a lot of pain and a lot of trials if we will up front welcome God into the process. We talked about last week the conformity test. That's where we want to start as believers in Jesus Christ. And what we're asking actually is what has God revealed about this already? Many of the decisions are pretty cut and dry if you just use God first and use scripture as your guiding post because God has spoken very directly about many things. And so if we'll just say, okay, God has already revealed in his word what this choice is. And what direction I should take in this time of my life. And I'm just going to obey him even though maybe it's not the the, the answer I want. It's not the direction I want. But I'm just going to obey God trusting him that God has those provisions. God has those guidelines there for my welfare. Then we're talking about what is he saying now? Because God's still alive. He's still active. he, He continually talks to us. And so we looked at that test last week. And we decided that when we're getting, we're at a crossroads of making a decision, we want to ask ourselves some important questions to bring ourselves in conformity with, with what God's plan might be for our life. One is, am I conforming to the reveal will, what he's already said? Then, am I conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will guide us along in our decision making. Am I conforming to godly counsel? Am I just kind of out there as a, as a long ranger, or am I out there seeking godly support in making these critical decisions? And then, am I conforming to God's provision, or am I trying to kick open this door and kick open that door, and where God is putting obstacles, am I climbing over those obstacles? Because where God guides, God provides. That's what we learned last week. Where God guides, God provides. God's not going to give you a hernia. Jesus said, bring your burden to me. I can bear your burden. And he said, my burden, in turn, is light. And so, first place is we start with the conformity test. Now, today I want to talk about some don'ts of great decision making. Don't do this. Write this down. I have the freedom to make my own choices. I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. Does that make sense? 
I, I have the freedom to make whatever choices I want to make. I don't have the freedom to choose my consequences. I, I can choose to obey the laws of this land, and, and, and I'll stay out of trouble. I'll stay out of jail. I'll still stay out of prison. Or I can choose to disobey the laws of this land, and I can have all kinds of legal consequences from that. In any area of life, this is true. I have the freedom. God has given me the freedom to make my own choices, but I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. History bears that out, by the way, in some of the worst decisions that were ever made. For example, how about accepting the Trojan horse? Wow, isn't that a cool wooden horse? Let's just go ahead and bring that inside our defensive walls, right? Not such a good decision. Or how about the Titanic? Oh, we don't need lifeboats for all the passengers. She's unsinkable. Not a very good decision by White Star Cruise Lines, was it? Or how about this? In 1876, Western Union President William Orton turns down an offer to buy the patent for the telephone for $100,000. He said, oh, we'll pass on that telephone thing. It's kind of a, novel, a novelty, but it's never going to have any commercial value, he said. Or how about this, 1962, Decca Records turns down this new upstart group, the Beatles, and saying that, you know, oh, these guitar bands, they're fading out, they're a thing of the past. Man, in, in, in 1967 alone, the Beatles in their record sales sold over $38 million. Decca Records, bad decision. Or how about this one? Mars Candy M&M's turning down the E.T. film opportunity. Remember the Reese's Pieces in E.T.? That was supposed to be M&M's. But Mars Candy says, nah, we're not going to mess with that little film. That film's never going anywhere. And so they rejected the offer to be the candy of E.T. Reese's Pieces filled in and saw their profits soaring to 65% growth in one year alone. How about this one? 20th Century Fox signs over all the Star Wars product merchandising rights to George Lucas in exchange for a $20,000 paycheck pay cut in his contract. Now, we're going to give you $20,000 less, but I'll tell you what, all that stuff they're going to sell, you, you go ahead and keep the rights to that. It's over $3 billion so far in climbing. How about that decision, huh? How about this one? 12 publishing firms turned down J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone book series. 12 of them. Nah, it's, we don't want to get into that kind of stuff. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Of course, the worst... Decision of all was Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. I mean, yeah, what could it hurt, right? See, terrible decisions. I have the freedom to make my own choices. But I don't have the freedom to choose my own consequences. All right, so let's look this morning quickly at some don'ts of great decision making. Remember, we all start, where we start as a believer is the conformity test. Am I conforming with what God has already revealed? Am I conforming with what God is saying right now? Now, I'm going to look at some obvious don'ts and don't do these things that we typically do, and you're going to recognize them. Number one, don't rush it. Don't rush the decision. Again, Adam and Eve, classic example. You know, think about this. You know, we know the story how Adam and Eve, you know, they were told by God, his revealed will, don't eat the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden, the garden of knowledge of good and evil, because in that day you'll die. God had already revealed. Now, did Eve take the conformity test? Yes, she did. Because when Satan was tempted, she said, but God said, see, she took the conformity test. She didn't listen 
She didn't follow it. And so going on, now think about this. I mean, later on it says God came down in the cool of the evening, as Scripture suggests was his habit, and he would come down, he'd fellowship with them. They could have waited, and they could have said, hey, God, something interesting happened today. You know that serpent thing? Uh, well, we were over by the tree there, and that serpent thing came and started talking to us, and he said something about the fact that, that we could be like you if we ate and you were to hold not. They could have asked God about that. And, and, and God would have counseled them, and God would have revealed them, and the whole thing could have turned out differently. But what they did, see, is they jumped impulsively. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. See, what happened is she made an impulsive decision. She said, well, that sounds right. Well, that sounds interesting. That sounds good. And look at how good that piece of fruit looks. I'll bet you it tastes so good. And so instead of not rushing into the decision, and there is no indicator that, that this was one of those sales deals by Satan, you know, now you eat that piece of fruit today because tomorrow this deal's not going to be here. No. But they rushed into it and with cataclysmic consequences, right? Because they had the freedom to make their own choice. They did not have the freedom to choose their own consequences. See, a great majority, a great many of our bad decisions are impulsive decisions, aren't they? especially in the area of finance. How many times you sit down with that car dealer, and car dealer says, he's gone back four or five times, he says to the manager in the back, you know, probably goes to the restroom, gets a cup of coffee, because they got all the stuff worked out, and he says, all right, he says, this is the final line, and I, I, if you walk away, I cannot offer you this deal tomorrow. You, you have to have this deal today, because it's gone off the table as soon as you leave off the door. And we go, oh, man, it's, I, I, I don't know. I can't lose this deal. This is too good of a deal. And what, we make an impulsive decision. I promise you this. You go back, and that guy will give you that deal later on. Or he'll give you a better deal. And I've tried it. I've done it myself. This is where whole, that whole timeshare thing that was, was a huge thing for a long time came along. You know, you'd go to that timeshare presentation, and they'd say, well, you know, we brought you here today, and we spent money having you come out here today, and so we, we, we can only offer you the deal today. Either you take the deal today, or, 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 or you're done. Uh, we can't offer it to you anymore, and we can't come back to you. Uh, hogwash. Hogwash. Yeah, mark this down. Whenever you get in one of those situations where they're putting that kind of financial pressure on you, Warning bells ought to be going off everywhere. Everywhere. If it's a worthwhile product, you can buy that product when you want to buy that product. And if not, it should be a flag that they're trying to force something on you that really doesn't have the value that it promises at sight that it does. See, great decision makers wait until they're ready to make a decision. They don't let outside forces pressure them. They wait until they've done their homework. They've given themselves an opportunity to rehearse all the possible consequences of the decision or the opportunities of the decision. And then they come back and they'll say, you know what, I've given this thought and yes, I want to or no, I don't want to. Readiness is the key, not speed. Readiness is the key, not speed. So don't, don't rush it. Proverbs 26, 11, I love this, says, A simple man believes anything, but a patient man gives thought to his steps. In other words, a foolish man just jumps at impulse. A foolish man just responds impulsively. A foolish man believes that, 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 that this is a one-time opportunity that's never going to present itself again. 
But a wise man says, wait a minute. Let's think this through. Wait a minute. Let's take this step by step. And couples, let me encourage you, uh, when you go into these things together, make sure that, that you've got your plan down before you go. Because sometimes communications get crossed. This has happened to Stella and I in some of these things. Where I, I thought she was like all for it. And so I was, I was thinking, man, I don't know. I don't really want to do this. But, but the way she was responding, you know, I thought, well, she, she seems real excited about it. So I, I guess we'll go ahead. Do, only to find out later, she goes, why'd you do that? <laughs> I'm going, because you were excited. She goes, I wasn't excited. I was just being polite. You know, make sure you, you get this together. But the bottom line is don't rush into it. Now, I know you might be saying, well, wh- how do I know when I'm ready to make the decision? I don't want to rush into it. But when do I know it's the right time? Well, you've gone through the process that we've talked about, and you've arrived at this. You've arrived at saying this. Even if I'd spend more time, I'd make the same decision. So when you've reached that point, you've done all your homework, and you set it up, and you said, even if I took more time to process this, I'd make the same decision, because you're ready now to make that decision. Don't rush it. Don't, number two, ignore your gut. Don't ignore your gut. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, and let me remind you. The reason, as a believer, I don't want to ignore my gut is because it's just not my gut. As a believer, the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. And the Holy Spirit is trying to talk with me. And the Holy Spirit will be my guide. Again, John 14, 26, Jesus is speaking. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What does that mean? That means that when we're trying to make these decisions, the Holy Spirit will bring Scripture to our mind, what God has already revealed about something. I've had that happen so many times in my life. When, when, when there's some, some abstract scripture out there that I study, or maybe I even preached on one time, but it's been years and years and years and years, and I'm confronted with a situation, all of a sudden, that thing will pop into my mind. Well, is that because I'm smart? No. That's because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And, and the Holy Spirit brings up and says, now, here's what God revealed about that. Don't, don't forget. Remember? And I'll say, oh, that's right. I remember now. God has already spoken about this or a similar kind of issue that I can use to help make this decision. Also, you want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because sometimes even when we do our homework and we we look at God's revealed will and God doesn't explicitly address every human circumstance that we're going to face and every decision that we're going to face. And sometimes there's a decision there and there's really nothing in the scripture about it, pro or negative to it. Now we're kind of trying to pull concepts together and tendencies in the Bible. And maybe, uh, maybe folks are telling us that we really love and trust. They're saying, you, you, know, you go ahead. This is a good thing for you. You ought to do this. But yet inside you, that gut is telling you, even though everything looks good, and, and from your, your, you could logically and rationally say, I've, I've done a process here. This is not an impulsive decision. And yet there's something inside you saying, don't do that. Even though there's, there's no obvious danger and you wouldn't be just stomping on God's word to make the decision. Sometimes it's just not the right time. And so the Holy Spirit will will be there saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen in my life where the Holy Spirit, I I mean, there was nothing immoral about the decision I was about to make, nothing wrong. The Holy Spirit said, "Mm -mm, no, not now, not right now. And, and, And later on, sometimes I've seen why the Holy Spirit did it. Other times I've not. I've just trusted him. Other times I've ignored that decision, and oftentimes that's turned out pretty bad. So 
trust the Holy Spirit. We call it our gut, our gut instinct. But for a believer, it's more than a gut instinct. It's God speaking to us. Number three, don't ignore godly advice from others. This was one of the conformity tests. Am I conforming to the godly advice of those I trust? Now, remember we talked about last week, you've got to be careful who you're taking godly advice from. You've got to make sure they're godly people, that they're people of prayer and people of the word that know the Bible and people who are honest with you. And if they see you taking a step that could be dangerous to you, they'll point it out and they'll say, now, I know this isn't what you want to hear, but this is what you need to hear. Now, see, oftentimes we seek godly advice and we just ignore it because it's not what we want. It's not what I want right now. It's not what I want to feel. It's not what I want to do. It's not what I want to buy. Right now, I'm, I'm stuck before that tree of the good of evil and, and knowledge, and I'm, I'm like Adam and Eve, and I, I just want that. And so I ignore all this advice. That comes with disastrous consequences. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. You know, here's the truth about every one of us, and we know this. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll readily admit it. We can pretty much talk ourselves into anything. We really can. We can rationalize it, and we, 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 can, we can just ignore all kinds of warning bells, all kinds of signals. We can uh, uh, disregard the godly counsel of people who, who have been very good and, and dependable in our past just because at that moment that's what we want. And so we've got to be careful. See, that's the way of a fool. Scripture says, the way of the fool seems right to him. Oh, this is, I just can't pass up this opportunity right now. I've got to have this right now. It's never going to come again. I, 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 I can't give up this girl. I can't give up that guy. I'll never have somebody that good looking ever interested in me again. I, I, and we just talk ourselves into making some horrendous decisions that sometimes follow us the rest of our lives. Now, in addition to that, though, at that same thought, don't ignore godly advice, but don't let others make your decision for you. In the end, you have to decide. Because only God's working in you. And, and, and you need to decide, having understood and, and searched out what God has already said about it and what God might be saying now through the Holy Spirit. Don't let others make their decision for you. See, that's what happened to Adam. Back Genesis chapter 3, it says, you know, she, she saw and she wanted and she took. She had the dialogue with the serpent. But then it says right on, she says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, Adam allowed Eve to make their decision. Don't you know that Adam, now Adam was the one God gave the first prohibition to. Adam had this tight relationship with God. And Adam could have said, well, hold on, wait, wait, Eve, wait, something doesn't sound right here. My, my gut's telling me something just isn't right. See, but he, for whatever circumstances, whether it was because of his love for her or whether he was duped also, he was right there, and he allowed her reaction to influence his reaction. And what does it say? By Eve, sin came in the world and sin passed upon all men. Is that what Scripture says? No, it says by one man, Adam, sin came into the world, and therefore sin has passed upon all men because all men have sinned. Another classic illustration of this biblically is Moses and the children of Israel getting ready, ready to enter, re-enter the promised land. Remember, Moses had taken them, as we discussed in our last series, uh, after 470 years 
in, in, in slavery and wandering the wilderness. Actually, this is 430 years later because they hadn't wandered the wilderness yet. This is what's going to lead up to it. But he sends 12 spies in the land. God says this in, in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Okay? What has God revealed? I'm giving it to you. He said, you'd send some spies out and explore the land that I'm giving to you. So there's really no decision to make other than they're just going to send out some spies, do some reconnaissance. Okay, but what happens? Well, if we know the story, the spies come back and 10 of the 12 spies come back and they say, oh, we, we can't go in that land. What are you kidding those people over there, the cities are well defended, and there's giants. Those people are so much bigger than we are. There's no way in the world we can defeat those people. And, and so what happens? They go, and as it says in Numbers 13, verses 31, 32, they begin to spread that kind of a report among all the people. And the people then started getting depressed, and they started getting discouraged, and they started rebelling against Moses and saying, oh, we can't go in there. Oh, this would be foolhardy for us. Now, what had God already said? The decision wasn't whether or not to enter the land. The decision wasn't whether or not they were strong enough to defeat the people because God had just said, the same God who brought them out of Egypt after 10 amazing plagues, the same God who had opened the Red Sea and stopped Pharaoh's army, the same God who had led them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, the same God who gave them their law, the Ten Commandments, the same God who's worked all these miracles in their lives, in their corporate, in their national lives, is saying, hey, we're home, and I'm giving you this land. Just send some guys out there and, and let them come back, and, and we'll, we'll see where we're going to go first. And so they come back, and instead, 10 of these spies give a bad report. Just two gave a good report, Caleb and Joshua, and they were the only two to enter the promised land because that was the consequence God said, I am so sick and tired of these people. They, they just continually whine and rebel against me. And, and God was about to, to strike them dead. Moses intervened and said, no, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So said, oh, God said, okay, I'll forgive them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 through 23. He says, I'll forgive them. But you mark this down. Not one from that generation will enter into the promised land, including you, Moses. And so because Moses allowed a critical decision-making process, he allowed the voices of others to make that decision for him, it doomed an entire generation of Israelites from entering into their promised land. And the only two that got there were the two that came back and said, don't listen to the negative voices, let's go. See, same thing can happen to us. And we can let the negativity of others, or we can let the over-optimism of others weigh too heavily into our decision-making process, and we can actually enter a very dangerous, dangerous place. Listen, don't let others decide for you. Now, they can be part of your decision-making process, but if God's word is already revealed that where you're going is forbidden or unadvisable, if the Holy Spirit of God is, is pinging you and saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, if, if your godly counsel 
It's providing warning. Listen, ultimately, you and God make the decision. And if you follow the process, if you do the conformity tests, if you be careful not to rush it, if you be careful to listen to that Holy Spirit, if you're careful to, to include the godly advice of people in your decision-making process but not allow it to make your decision for you, then chances are you're going to have far less negative consequences. Remember, I have the freedom to make my own choices about anything. I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. Don't go there. Don't go there. Making decisions can catapult us to more opportunities or it can wreck us. And God cares about that. He really does in your life and in my life. So let's listen to him. And next week, I'm going to continue the don'ts of good decision making. But right now, as we prepare to take communion this morning, we're reminded of the single most important decision of all. And that decision is inherent in this ceremony that we're about to observe. Because Scripture records that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he announced to them, and they didn't understand it at the moment. They wouldn't understand it until later. He said, see this bread? This bread. It's just breaking it apart. This bread's my body. That's about what's going to happen to my body. My body's going to be torn apart as a sacrifice for you. Then a little while later, he took a cup and he says, let me tell you how I'm going to do this sacrifice. Let me, let me tell you how I'm going to change everything for you. I'm going to change everything for you through my blood. I'm going to literally have to give my own life. I'm going to have to shed my own blood to give you the opportunity to have eternal life. He says, it's not going to come easy. It's not going to be cheap. It's going to cost me something. Now, the most important decision any human being will make is what to do with Jesus. See, Scripture says in John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're on one side or the other side. There's no middle ground in this. You're, you're, because if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're still hanging on to, to hopes that you're going to be a good enough person, or you're still hanging on hopes that you're, you've connected with the right denomination, the white world religious system, you're already condemned. Jesus himself said in that same chapter, a couple of verses ahead, in verse 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, each one of us have to decide for ourselves whether we think Jesus was speaking arrogantly 
This is, that's the world does. That's how the world reacts to it. In an unbelieving world, they say, you Christians. And, and Jesus had the audacity to say that he was the only way. And you think he's the only way. Well, is Jesus being arrogant or is he being truthful? Well, everything about the life and teaching and ultimately the sacrifice of Jesus cries out that he was being truthful, not arrogant. An arrogant person would have never subjected himself to the humiliation that Jesus subjected himself to. So scripture says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you trust what God has said about Jesus being the only way, he said, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. I wonder, have you taken that step this morning? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are, are, are you still hoping that somehow when you stand before God in judgment one day that God's going to look at your life and he's going to say, you did pretty good. I'm going to let you in. Not going to happen. Scripture is very, very clear about that. The book of Revelation chapter 20 says, God will not allow any impure thing to enter his eternal kingdom. That means anything that has any blemish on it at all can't come in. Every one of us have a highly blemished life before God, don't we? Nothing we can do to change it. I can't change it. You can't change it. That's why God sent a sacrifice to die for us. And it's just by believing in that sacrifice that God forgives sin. If you've never done that, why don't you do it right now? Would you just humble yourselves before God and say, God, I admit I have a lot of blemishes before you. God, I get it, and I admit it to you freely that I haven't lived a perfect life. And Lord, I get it. Heaven's not a place for good people. It's a place for perfect beings like yourself. And I can never make myself perfect again. But Jesus lived a perfect life, and he was willing to die for sin. And God, I understand now that you have given Jesus alone the authority to forgive my sin. And so Jesus, as best as I understand what this preacher's saying, I'm transferring my confidence off of my own goodness. And I'm believing solely on you. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. And I believe you died on the cross and on the third day rose again. And I believe that only you have the authority to forgive sin. So Jesus, would you do that in my life right now? Jesus, forgive my sin. Jesus, adopt me into the family of God. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for eternal life. Now listen to what Scripture says. 1 John 5, 13, Scripture says, These things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And it all came through this sacrifice. And Jesus said to us as a church, I want you to do this regularly so that you never forget how much I love you. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. 
The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 reminds us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your mercy on our lives. God, every one of us, if we're honest before you, understand how undeserving we are of eternal life. We understand how undeserving we are of your love and your mercy. God, from our perspective, we can't even sometimes understand how you could even love us. But yet, over and over, throughout your entire word, from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture screams out your love and your patience and your mercy in our lives. And for that, we thank you today. God, help us to recommit ourselves to you this day, to your honor, to your glory, to a life of service to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.